Welcome. You're listening to the Newborn Promise Podcast for building up new families in Christian faith. I'm so excited to have Dr. Robert Hamilton with us today. His video, How to Calm a Crying Baby, has amazed more than 31 million viewers around the world. And now he has a new book out to share even more wisdom and practical advice. The title is The Seven Secrets of Newborns, and it includes many surprises about the first year. Dr. Hamilton, thank you for being with us. We're so happy to have you. Well, um, first of all, Kelly, let me do, let me say it is such a joy to be on your Newborn Promise podcast. Oh, thank uh, you. I'm so really, really happy to be here, and uh, I wish you all uh, the, the very best uh, back there in Texas. Oh, thank you, Dr. Hamilton. Well, listen, after 30 years as a pediatrician, you still have a contagious enthusiasm for what you do, which is evident in your YouTube videos. Tell us what fascinates you most about babies. So, you know, when I think about this, I think that really the the thing that fascinates me about children is is life, that we're living, that we're alive, we're we're living in this world. And um, I think that when I look at newborn children, babies are fresh human beings. They're newly formed with all the God-given potential that uh, we have. And, and there's nothing more uh, evident to me when I look at a child than, than just raw potential. Yeah. Um, I, I'm also fascinated by the fact that babies are driven to move forward. They're driven to learn mm-hmm. more. They're driven to accomplish more things, uh, you know, silly things like reaching out uh, and grabbing yeah. and grasping and rolling over and, and ultimately sitting and crawling and standing up and walking. They're, they're manically kind of driven. They're that DNA that is deep in the, in the soul and the heart of the human being is so evident uh, with children. And I, and I look at that and I kind of go, wow, this is, this is fascinating. This is amazing to me. And uh, I think that uh, I look at that and I kind of go, why? You know, <laughs> well, I wonder what, what is, why question. are children driven? They seem to have it made, yeah, don't they? they? do. And, and I, have to, I derive <laughs> inspiration from young children. Uh, I really do. So I think that, you know, that is the, the tip of the iceberg of what, what fascinates me about children. But I, I'm also fascinated by the fact that, you know, uh, they weren't there, the, you know, little babies, you know, nine months before they pop out of their little mommies, they weren't in the world. They were, they were a non-entity. And so that to me is equally fascinating and amazing. Oh yeah. Well, my daughter is 15 now, but I remember her first year like it was yesterday. And so when I read your, about your book in the Wall Street Journal, I ordered it immediately. And it was like a gift to relive that magical time of becoming a mother. But I love that you included the expecting and new dad's experience. Would you describe how the dad's experience differs from the mom, aside from the obvious, and why those differences are so important? Well, you know, fathers and men in general, we really are spectators to the event of pregnancy and delivery. We, this is really a feminine territory. Mm, yeah. And, um, but the beauty is we're intimate spectators. We, we are engaging in something that guys don't really know much about. Mm-hmm. I mean, guys on the, you know, I'm thinking about guys kind of playing basketball together on a Saturday afternoon. Well, that, or playing golf or whatever. They're not thinking about babies. They're not thinking about pregnancy. I guarantee you that. <laughs> but we, we get to involve ourselves in a very in an intimate way 
with the changes that are going on with our wife. Well, it turns out, too, that men who engage that process are also going through incredible changes, things that are not really talked about very much and not very obvious necessarily. But tr truth be told, we're going through, we're, you know, this beauty of man and woman, you know, engaging life and building a life together is happens hormonally too. And, and mm -hmm. I will tell you, uh, Callie, this was a little bit of a, of a, of yeah. a new uh, understanding, but basically there are hormones which are changing. I mean, testosterone, for example, which is the macho hormone, which drives men to conquer and to mm -hmm. go get their girl and all that kind of stuff that actually begins to diminish during the, the final trimester of pregnancy and mm. continues to be lower the serum levels of testosterone in men after their wives have had a baby actually go down and they huh. maintain that lower level for months after a baby is born. Another hormone, good old fashioned, fashioned oxytocin. Oxytocin is what we call the love hormone. And that is the hormone that drives women and the letdown hormone. And uh, huh. that hormone too, it goes up in men. Huh. Uh, not, I mean, not to the levels of it does in women, but it goes up in men. And that hormone actually in, in prods men to bond more profoundly with their children. Mm. Um, oxytocin, by the way, is 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 elevated in a graded response. Men who are, are heavily involved with their children, engaging them, you find that the levels of oxytocin are actually a bit higher. Men who are more distant from their children, they don't have that same bump. Interesting. A um, couple other hormones. Uh, prolactin, which you think about as being a, a milk-producing hormone in a woman. Actually, there's prolactin in men too, believe it or not. And wow. <laughs> that increases their alertness and response. That opens possibilities. Yeah, this is kind of crazy, isn't it? <laughs> um, and uh, so they that actually increases a little bit and actually causes them to be more responsive to the cries of their children. And finally, uh -oh. a, the final hormone um, is called vasopressin. And this hormone is sometimes called the monogamy hormone. And it causes men to bond more fervently with their partner, with their wife, and uh, actually to become more jealous for the mother of the child and the child and uh, actually causes men to be more apt to defend the mommy and baby uh, should there be danger. Well, obviously, having a baby is a massive transformation for a couple. How can they, quote unquote, baby proof their marriage? You know, I think there, it's a great, great question. I think that you have to you have to plan. You have to be a little bit deliberate about yeah. this. And uh, you plan time together, go out to dinner, dinners uh, together uh, with friends. You've got to make sure that you don't divorce yourself from your community. Mm -hmm. um, you know, literally take, you know, you know, husbands and wives need to have a babysitter or a mother-in-law or somebody watch the child, take a short walk in the neighborhood, go to a movie. Even uh, as the children get a little bit older, you can run away for a night, a short vacation to, you know, uh, wherever you want to go, to the lake or to the river, to the, the ocean. Uh, those are all very, very important. They're all great ideas, too. Well, what do you say, Dr. Hamilton, to couples who are having a child that everything is not going okay? They uh, have discovered early on that their infant has special needs or they find out even before the birth. What, in your experience, helps parents the most in those situations? You know, special needs children are, of course, um, our challenge. 
it, it doesn't fit our what we were hoping for, what we were thinking. We, I mean, we all have these ideas that kind of circulate in our brain about what having a child will be like. And if you have a child that is different from that, uh, that idea that, and they're all different, a little bit different. They don't, no, no child really feels, you know, well, that's uh, true. that perfect ideal that you, you think you thought it was going to be. But when you have a special needs child, you have to kind of step back and, and, and reassess and you have to kind of take a deep breath and kind of go, okay, how are we going to deal with this? I, I find that my parents who do have special needs children are not necessarily feeling um, bad for themselves. They, they, many of them kind of go, this is my reality. I'm going to live with my reality. They're not necessarily depressed about it. Uh, but I think you need to, you need to, to engage other resources. You need to really truly get out there and, you know, bring in the troops, if you will. I'm talking about mm-hmm. family, friends, and a, a very important thing that you can do is really engage other people who've been there. Um, there are, oh, yeah. unfortunately, through the uh, the communication abilities we have in our world today, we can actually engage people who do have a child who has the same syndrome or the same problem or whatever it may be. And listen, there is there's value, there's benefit, there's encouragement from people who've already been through it. Um, and that you have to lean on that. You have to go out and look for it. Oh, that's so true. And you know, the Newborn Promise Project was created just for that reason, to come around parents and support them during this huge tra- transformation that happens when they have a new child in their life, regardless of the physical condition. Yep. You write in your book... The spiritual life of your child is important, even from the very beginning. A clear and unclouded faith in God yields great blessings throughout life, so don't wait to expose this dimension to your child. How have you seen faith influence the families coming to your practice, Dr. Hamilton? Listen, I, I'm a person of, of faith. I believe that there is a God in heaven who loves us. I believe, and I'm a Christian, I believe that uh, Christ came to earth to show us really how to live. And how, and I think he, when he departed, he left his Holy Spirit to, to guide and prod us along the way. So I, I am a spiritual person. I think that that causes you to tap into a deeper level of, of living and a deeper level of life. And I, I think that families, I, I don't think I see it. Uh, when I see, I, I see families, when they come to my practice and they have that, sense of, of depth, that sense of, of uh, purpose, if you will, they are, they're stronger, they're more resilient, they, their vision is a little bit higher vision, and they're not living day by day, they're living in a, a different reality, if you will, they're living uh, for a higher purpose. And you have to do that. When you have children, you have to have a little bit of a bigger purpose. It can't be all about you anymore. It has to be about tomorrow. It has to be about your child. So I, there's no question that I think the foundation of that marriage, that, that, that family, is stronger when you have a spiritual undergirding. Many of us can attest to that, that's for sure. I don't know how people who don't have faith in God can get through parenting. You know, expecting parents are in active seeking mode on many things, and they want to make sure they make the right choices for everything from a stroller to a pediatrician. If you were a new parent today, what would you look for in a pediatrician? 
you know, Kelly, I actually gave a, a lecture one time on how to choose a pediatrician. And there are a couple couple keys. Number one, the pediatrician must be um, an active pediatrician, someone who's working uh, on a relatively consistent basis that you know that they're going to be there for you in your time of need. So you got to find out the availability of that doctor. Uh, number one, you can have a phenomenal doctor, famous doctor, whatever, but if they're all away giving lectures 50% of the time, or they're never there for you, they don't, uh, then you really, the even though they may be an amazing individual, they're not, the access to them is, is limited. So that, that's actually an important question. Um, I think that the backup, uh, who they have working in their office with them is very important. Uh, people... Uh, you know, doctors are like everybody. They do get a week weekend off from time to time. And when you are have a child, I tell people all the time, children don't know the day of the week. Um, and so when they decide to get sick, it isn't usually a Monday through Friday. They usually end up getting sick about one o'clock on a Sunday morning, right? <laughs> so you do need to make sure you know who the people who are backing them up. I think it's important too that you find a doctor who's engaged in the in the pediatric community that they're attending lectures and teaching if they if they have that option. Um, people who are engaged in the community uh, are all important. It's important too if you can if if the um, the community uh, the norms of the community allow uh, parents to come and interview the pediatrician before they actually make that decision. That is a, that's a very valuable thing. You can have uh, a person that you have heard about, uh, reputation, whatever, but you, when you meet them, you know, you, you know, do you jive? Do you, are you actually in, you know, in sync with that person? And I think people are pretty good at, at, at assessing that. Um, and finally, the, the real kicker to have to choose a, a good pediatrician is don't ask anybody uh, don't ask your friends or your family. Go talk to the nurses at the hospital. And what I mean by that is you actually call labor and delivery, call the nursery at your local hospital you're going to deliver and talk to the charge nurse and say, by the way, who do you guys recommend over there? And say, don't, don't give me one name. Give me two or three or four names. And um, you call the day shift, the night shift, uh, you know, and, and talk to a couple of the nurses over there independently and say, who do you recommend? And they're, they, they, <laughs> I, I say this with a little bit of, uh, you know, trepidation here, but they know who you are. They know how they act. They know when they get to, you know, when they under duress, what do they do? Do they throw things? Do they swear? Do they, are they uh, people of integrity? Do they call the nurses back? In other words, and they also know what you do. They also know, are you a good practitioner? Do you make good decisions? So they're kind of like, they're really the people who know more than anybody. And so call them and get two or three names and then focus on those individuals. Uh, maybe go meet one or two of them and uh, you will find yourself a very fine pediatrician. That is a great idea and one that I have never come across before. So thank you for that perspective. Well, you're a pediatrician who's after my own heart because of what you stressed about reading in your book about reading to babies from birth. Our whole purpose, we were founded for that. So it's a passion of ours. I'm curious what has been your experience with the difference between families who read to their babies and those who don't. By reading to your children consistently, you really honestly increase their IQ. 
because they they hear and you know this, Callie. You are speaking um, my language. You know it, which is why I I I, I touched you that nerve. <laughs> uh, but because you're they're you're engaging them, they're hearing your voice, they're mm-hmm. they're learning new words, and you literally prepare them for school for sure. But you en- enliven them, you enrich them, you you are engaging their uh, in, their imagination. So. I, I will tell you that uh, reading to children, well, first of all, too, you're also with them. Oh, yeah. And and parents need to be with their children. They need to engage them in a very one-on-one uh, way as much as possible because it is through that, that interaction that the children really grow and mm. and, and become become, you know, uh, social and, and, and become human, really. But... Um, the reading time is really critical, and uh, that should not end. By the way, when a child goes goes to kindergarten, that conti- should continue even beyond that. Oh yeah, definitely. But but there are homes which are impoverished word wise, where you know the TV's on, and there is very little interaction between parent and child. Those are those are ch- families. Those are homes that really, I will tell you, they're putting their children at a disadvantage. Uh, by keeping the television on all the time and not not engaging their children, so we want to as parents we want to to be with them we want to read to them we want to talk to them we want to really uh when you 're not reading to them you 're narrating your life is what I tell uh, people to do yeah 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 well, one surprising piece of advice in your book related to that for me is that parentees or the way parents talk differently to their baby is actually what babies need to hear. Explain that for us. Sure. Yeah. Parentese is is how we draw out our words. Like when we when we're looking at a book, for example, and we're reading to our child, or in my case, my grandchildren. Now, I go look at the moon, look at the look at the sky, and you basically are articulating every uh, part of that word. And you're you're drawing it out, and by doing that, you're you're teaching children, you know, correct articulation. Number one, but you're also you know drawing them into uh, what you're looking at. Okay, be parentees. That's called parentees, and, and and it's really a universal phenomenon. It's different than baby talk. Baby talk is ba 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 la la la. It's kind of nonsensical. But parentese is actually much more of an elongation, if you will, of the vowels and the the words that you're you're trying to share with your child. And if you do that, and you do that, uh, and children like that, they like the sing-song nature of that. That draws them in. So that is what parentese is all about. And I will tell you, it's almost an, it's a phenomenon that happens almost without um, you even knowing it. People kind of do that naturally. Well, that's very interesting how we're wired that way. Dr. Hamilton, you have a great vantage point from the span of your career. What is the most important thing that you want expecting the new parents to hear from you today? Well, um, here's what I think. Uh, Having a child is going to grow you up. It's Mm. going to change you in the most profound way that you could possibly imagine, all of which is good. You'll be a better person uh, after you have a child. You're going to find yourself that you're more patient, more thoughtful, 
better able to multitask because you have to. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you, ha- you have to learn how to do that. You become more adaptable. I think you're more fun. Uh, I think you become a little more, you, you laugh a little bit easier. Uh, you're more giving. You're less selfish. You are, you, you change with you mm. because children by their nature require that you are in the moment with them. And mm. you have to divorce yourself from you. Um, and, um, that is a, a profound and deep thing. There are very few things that can actually cause that to That's happen very in true. your life. Yeah. And wow. so, I mean, marriage is another one of those wonderful moments. True. Um, same thing kind of, uh, but, uh, children are really are, are there and they're, they're very needy people. They're, you know, you look at a, I was with a mother a day or so ago and, and she had like a two week old child. And I looked at this child and I said, this kid is just pathetic, isn't he? He can't do anything. <laughs> she, she, she smiled at me. She got my humor. But I go, they're really, human beings really are. We kind of lay there like we're like, you know, fish on the table. There are these little, you know, naked babies I look at. I go, this, can't do, this kid can't do a, a bloody thing, uh, you know? He can't lift his head. He can't do anything. And it is so true that neediness of children causes us to, you know, invest in them and grow with them. So the, the thing, I think the, uh, for people who are about to have a, uh, a child, you know what? Wonderful. It's a wonderful time of your life. I'm jealous. Aww. I wouldn't mind. Uh, I, my wife and I have six kids and, uh, I tell people we, we blew it. We should have had more. Aww. Wow. I know it is a very special thing. And I remember being sort of gripped by that fact that my daughter couldn't take care of herself. She was completely, utterly <laughs> helpless. Um, and totally. I felt that way as a parent too. But um, anyway, I knew that, that that's when you my, my faith grew you then, grow. I tell you what. Yeah. Well, I imagine you need to get on your way to patient appointments this morning, but um, we've enjoyed having you so much. And is there anything else that you would like to add before we close? No, other than thank you, Kelly, for, for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Oh, you're wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. And God bless you, your wife, and your children and grandchildren. And we pray that your great work continues for a long, long time. Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Newborn Promise podcast. Learn more at grandblanchard.com.